Welcome back to So Every Soul Sings, Worship for the Real Church. And we are really keeping it real today because we are talking about part two of all the ways, or not maybe not all the ways, some of the ways that Rod blew it as a dad who is also in ministry. So if you are intrigued by this, I'm going to read one through five quickly. And if you missed part one, stop. Go back and listen to part one. This is part two. So in part one, we covered these are areas that he wished that he had done differently or better as a parent and as a minister. Number one was self-care. Number two, modeling time with Jesus every day. Number three, I was afraid of my kids. Number four, family devotion and scripture conversations. And number five, praying for them daily, specifically about their future. Yeah, that would make me want to go back and listen. Gosh, what a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I I didn't find the word blew it so offensive when I said it, but man, it was kind of offensive when you said it. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. They, I did. These are 10 ways. And, and I chose the word. I, these are 10 ways that I absolutely blew it as a worship pastor dad. And I will say again, just in case you don't go back and listen to episode one, my daughters are amazing. And the grace of God to cover my lack was spectacular. And it's not, a, there is no sense in which my blowing it as a worship pastor dad has translated into my children being really messed up individuals. They are beautiful followers of Jesus serving him. And I am so proud of them. So it's not at all about our daughters. It's just about things that I wish I had done differently starting about 25 years ago. So for those of you who are a little younger than me, you still have children at home or you have friends and family who have children at home who might benefit from this. This is um, me. uh, Yeah. Getting vulnerable um, in ways that are a little uncomfortable that I hope will help you. So let's dive in. Number six. Number six, (laughs) too much surviving moments or maybe reacting and not enough thinking long term. Yeah. I really mean surviving. And, and again, if you're listening out of real time, like it's not in May of 2020, then you don't know that right now the the whole world is locked down. Children have not been in school for two months. Their school is done or almost done for the year. Their parents won't get a break before summer of having children at home. Uh, the, there are parents who are right now doing their best to survive. And chances are, if you're a parent, you're not finding time to listen to this podcast right now because you are pulling your hair out with children at your feet all the time. Even if they're 17, they're they're at your feet begging for something all the time. And so it did feel like even when it wasn't COVID-19 season, it felt like we were surviving the moments. And some of that was busyness of our schedule and our children's schedule that was probably not healthy. We tried to battle against that. But some of it is just the reality of parenting. And it's, it's been that way, you know, since... John the Baptist was a little kid. Like it's hard to survive the moments and be thinking about the long term. But I really wish I had thought more mm, carefully, critically, uh, generatively about what parenting looks like over the course of 18 years rather than getting through the next 18 hours. Or even, you know, two years or three years or five. 
um, I think it can be helpful to think of it more in like chunks of getting to the next phase of their development. You know, preschoolers have different needs than kids who go to school and elementary school kids are different than middle schoolers and high schoolers in that sense too. <clears throat> so how are, how do you, Bethany, how do you guys manage this keeping balancing the short term and long term? You know, I, I married a planner and it, it sort of rubbed off mm. on me. Um, cause I was not, I was a very spontaneous person before I met okay. him and just sort of reacted all day, every day <laughs> to life and everything. And we were married four years before we had any kids. And, you know, at the beginning, you're really just keeping them alive. So by the time right. they were, you know, two, three, and four, uh, we'd been married, you know, eight, nine, almost 10 years. And I really do think some of that kind of started to rub off on me as well as some really good resources that I was ingesting. And I really also could see around me people who had kids older than mine who had done things you know, this way or that way. And I was able to see some of the more long-term effects of some short-term decisions. Okay. And so what I did is I, because I did Mary Planner, I decided to make myself a document on Microsoft Word where I listed out all of the whys in my parenting. Because I felt like mm -hmm. I couldn't use just tips and tricks and, you know, things to get them to behave if I didn't know why I was doing what I was doing. And I started with the gospel that the most important part of me being a parent was to teach my children the, the truth of the gospel, that yeah. they are sinners in need of a savior and that there is rescue available for them and power to live a righteous life. And that, um, and then I endeavored to teach them certain things. Uh, I don't want to go into too much detail, but one of them was self-control. I wanted to teach my children at an early age that they could control themselves. And so I did that in different ways. And one of the things I endeavored to teach them at an early age was about God and his word and how he's present in the world. And I, I just wrote it all out so that I, I could go back to it and remember why I was doing this. And it helped me have a long-term vision for why I was doing this in their life. That's amazing. We didn't do anything like that. And that's why I feel like I blew it as a worship pastor, dad. We use at church a curriculum called Orange, and it is um, the whole concept. I love this. Um, Nicole Buckman leads our kids ministry and has taught us so much. And it's one of those things I just, I think, oh, why didn't anybody tell me this 25 years ago? Um, orange is the combination of two colors, red and yellow. Red being um, like the color of blood. So that's what happens in your family is your, your blood kin. We joke about that in my family. It's really funny. Uh, and then yellow being the color of light, like the light of Christ. And so it's the partnership between your church and your home. And um, we went to an orange conference, our whole staff did, golly, three, four years ago. It was really cool. Uh, and one of the things they talked about is having a jar that you put on your baby's um, furniture when they're born that has a marble in it for every week of their life. And then you have an empty jar next to it. And every week you move a marble. And it just reminds you, it's just a phase. But, oh, my goodness, those marbles, like, it used to be full and now it's not full anymore. Or it used to be empty and now it's half full or whatever. And it kind of gives you a perspective that um, 
this really is a long-term big picture thing you're doing. It's just crammed full of moment by moment. I can't get it all done tasks. And I wish that I had thought long-term. I, I wish that when they were little, I would have thought about what I wanted them to be like when they were 17 or 25. I wish that I had thought again, I, I mentioned last episode, um, Andy Stanley, uh, one of the best sermons for me about parenting I've ever heard was one that he delivered and he talked about their goal um, for he and Sandra when, when they, they wanted their kids and they knew this when their kids were little, like they're just smarter than me. That's why he's Andy Stanley. Um, but their goal when their kids were little was for them to be, to, to be, uh, to choose to come home when they didn't have to and be friends with their parents. Like when we're done raising them, when they have kids of their own, we want them to choose to come home and spend time with us and each other when they don't have to. And so every parenting they did make, every parenting decision they made was through that grid. I wish I had that when my kids were little. And honestly, most of our decisions probably would have fit through that grid. Again, God's grace was bigger than my mistakes. Um, but I would have done better and I wish I had done better. I, I think thinking through long-term, how would I want my girls to be when they aren't girls anymore, but when they're women would have made me parent better. And I just, I just passed that on. I, I think um, it's hard when you can't figure out how to get through the next day to think how you're going to shape them over the next decade. But the way you get through the next day is what shapes them for the next decade. So that, that correlation, and we talked about that a little bit in, in a very different episode about planning and organization. You know, if you set annual goals and then you have quarterly progress and then you have monthly things and weekly and daily and all of it leads to the goal, you're probably going to crush it when, the, when it comes time for that goal to be due. The same thing is true for parenting. So envision the 18-year-old version of your son or daughter and then make decisions day to day that move them in that direction the best you can. And none of us get all those decisions right. But I think if you have a clear vision for what you want your adult child to look like when they're an adult, then the better shot you have of, of parenting them well when they're four or seven or 11 or 14, you know, middle school, high school, all of that. So anyway, I wish I'd done that better. Um, speaking of things I wish I'd done better uh, about family systems, <sighs> money management. Uh, I said, number yes, seven. money. That's number seven. Yeah. Money. I, w I said, yes. A lot of times I should have said no, but I honestly, this is, this is where I, again, I wish I had known something sooner than I did. I said, yes, before I asked Jesus. And if you think about your finances as all belonging to God, instead of your tithe belonging to God, then you will treat your money differently. It will also be easier to tithe because you have treated your money differently. And I don't know that we modeled that for our daughters really at all. I mean, we prayed about some major decisions. Are we going to buy a house? Are we going to buy a car? Sometimes we didn't pray about that one. But certainly we didn't pray about the day-to-day -day decisions of how am I going to spend money or how am I going to budget this month for next month? All of those things that if we had approached the totality of, of, of financial stewardship from a spiritual perspective and included our daughters in those conversations, I think they would have grown up to be better equipped to deal with hashtag adulting than they were when they got there. And again, they're, oh my gosh, they have more money in the bank than we do. I mean, it's incredible. <laughs> Emily is 22. She went to, to work for Starbucks. I think she was just 18. She might've been 19. And she set up a 401k. Like who does that? 
when you're 19 wow. <laughs> and you want to have AirPods that just came out for the first time ever, you know, but she did. And, and part of that may be because they saw how terrible we were with all of those things. Um, we never filed bankruptcy. We've always paid our debts, but we've always had debt. And, and I just wish that we hadn't, we would have been so much freer. We would have been able to do things with them and for them that we weren't able to do because we did different things with them and for them, which incurred debt. So I, I don't want to get into a lot of the nitty gritty with all of that and try to make this about money management because I'm not good at money management. I just wish I'd done it better in front of them and included them in it. When they were older and by older, I'm, I, I can't remember, but I think they were probably middle school, had just started middle school and just started high school. We went through Financial Peace University and we watched the videos with them. Okay. And I'm a Dave Ramsey fan. You don't have to be. It's okay. But so much of his principle is based on scripture and the understanding of yes. scripture about finances and stewardship. So uh, do something, but do something in front of your kids and with your kids so that they learn money management and, and financial resource management from the perspective of, of the way God thinks about it, not just whether or not it'd be cool to have that. And I just, I really wish I'd done that better. Yeah. So, because yeah. what that does is it teaches them real value. And that's really what you're talking about yep. is teaching your children what value is. And unfortunately our culture places a lot of value on things that God doesn't think is valuable at all. And it's important right. to tell them that at an early yeah. age and often. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and, you know, it's interesting because we did have some conversations like that, which I guess is why they did do better than we could have. Um, but we didn't do it as a part of a total strategy, thinking bigger about it. And uh, yeah, teach them the value of a dollar is a phrase that I think I heard as a kid that I wanted to pass on in a way that was a little more enjoyable than the way I learned it. So um, <laughs> let's move on because this one is um, going to be the hardest one to talk about for me, but it's mm. the one that may be most important. Um, I don't feel like I loved their mom sufficiently. And I, I showed this list to their mom before, before recording these. Uh, and she wasn't very happy with them because not it's embarrassing to her or me, but because she just, she doesn't think of me as being a guy who blew it. And I'm so grateful for that. But I, 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 don't, I don't either, by the way. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and again, my daughters are amazing. So at some level, I guess I didn't blow it, but at least in these 10 ways, I think I did. And the, the whole idea of not loving their mom sufficiently is a, pretty big deal. And I, I really think I could write a book about this. I, I, I won't. Um, I have other books that I want to write. Um, <laughs> and other people will write about this better than I could. So I, I don't think I will. But I just, I wish I had loved Jackie better. I wish I had loved her better moment by moment, um, hour by hour, week by week, season by season, year by year. I, I wish I'd loved her way better in big ways. We have done some really cool big things together. I, I surprised her with a trip to Boston. I surprised her with a 25, 25th anniversary thing. One of us was unemployed at the time. I don't remember which one it was. And so we didn't have a lot of money. And so I said, can I spend $600 to celebrate our, 50, our 25th wedding anniversary? And she said, uh, yeah, I guess we can borrow the money to do that. It is like, a, you know, you don't have a 25th wedding anniversary very often. And so I just got creative and it was amazing. And, um, I'd love to tell that story to you sometime. So uh, reach out offline when we're not doing podcasts and I'll, I'll tell you the story. It was really fun. So I've done some things like that, um, but I didn't do enough things like that. And maybe more than the big ways, I just wish in small ways. I, we didn't do a date night every week or every other week. Um, we did date nights 
we just didn't do them regularly. And I wish that we had, um, I wish that my eyes had been more consistently faithful. And and I don't want to say a whole lot more about that because every man that is listening to this knows that I don't need to say a whole lot more about that. Probably every woman does too. You just know it differently, but I wish that my eyes had been more faithful. Um, I wish that I had loved Jackie in the first eight years of our daughters growing up, you know, the most formative years. I wish that I had loved her in those eight years. Like I have loved her in the last eight years. And some of that I couldn't cause I didn't know then what I know now. I, uh, we had not journeyed through yet what we have journeyed through now, but goodness gracious. I just, I want to tell you husbands, especially please love your wife in front of your children in a way that they will want their spouse to love them. And especially if you have daughters, dads, love your daughters in ways that will make them think, gosh, I'm never going to be able to find a guy who treats me as good as my dad treats my mom. Do you think that's the most important thing that's affected in your children is their view of marriage? After their view of Jesus. Yeah. Um, But I do think that, you know, Paul chose to use the illustration of bride and bridegroom for Jesus and his church in in various ways. I think John did too. It it is a theme that runs all the way through scripture. It's not just a a Paul thing. It's not even really just a new Testament thing. Um, So I, I think there is a mystery of the way that faith and marriage are interrelated. And when you absolutely husbands, when you treat your wives poorly, then I think it, helps your children think of Jesus poorly. Um, Christ is in you and the, they should see Christ in you treating their mom like Christ treats their mom. I have, I have said for a long time when a young man finally comes to my door and says, can I ask your, your daughter to marry me? I will say yes. And uh, well, I probably will say yes. I don't know. Depends on who the guy is, I guess. Um, But I will say, I'm not really worried about you treating her like my daughter. I am very concerned that you treat her like God's princess because she is. And that kind of thinking, when you think about your wife, your wife is God's princess too. Treat her like a princess. And I just wish, I wish desperately that I had done that a lot better when, when our daughters were young. Um, And I I wasn't ever abusive. Um, I don't think any, I don't think any of any of the people in my family, my, my wife, my daughters, uh, our siblings, our parents, I don't think anybody would ever say I was abusive. I just didn't treat her like God's princess every day. And I wish that I had done that better. I think that children also, they get their, their fundamental sense of security from their parents' relationship. Mm, yeah. You know, they feel safe or not safe. Yep. And I think they also internalize um, how to or how not to have conflict, mm-hmm. how to or how not to show emotions, how to or how not to be affectionate or receive affection. Yeah. I mean, there are many, many, many things that I think the marriage relationship imprints upon children, you know, completely unconsciously. Yeah. And again, I'm not a marriage expert. I'm not telling you how to be married. I, I'm just telling you something I wish I had done better. I will also say there's the the book that I have read that has helped me the most change on the inside so that I could be the husband I want to be on the outside is a book by Gary Thomas called Sacred Marriage. 
the subtitle kind of tells you everything you need to know. The subtitle is what if God intended marriage to make you holy more than to make you happy, which is a playoff of a C.S. Lewis quote. It it is a fantastic book and it really did change the way I was a husband. I, I don't, I've read, I don't know, probably 35 or 40 books on marriage. So it's an area of interest to me, partly because I grew up in a broken home. And so I knew I didn't have a model of how to be married in front of me. I didn't know how to be married. I didn't, I never, I still don't feel like I'm good at it. Um, And so I wanted to read about it so I could learn how to do it better. But sacred marriage really did uh, kind of flip some switches for me and the way I thought about some things that have helped me um, pretty dramatically. Uh, I was privileged to preach the wedding of my nephew to his wife. They've now, they now have um, like a bazillion children. They're awesome. I love them so much. Um, at their wedding, I gave out a handout to every family who came. That was 50 quotes from that book. <laughs> That's it was awesome. easy to pull out 50 quotes from that book. Yeah. If you want to email me, I have that document somewhere. I'd be glad to send it to you. Rod E Ellis at gmail.com. And I'll send it. Uh, it's just a great book, but I think if you read the quotes, you're going to be hooked and you'll want to read the rest of the book. So highly recommend that more than that. I just recommend that, that you love your spouse. Like Jesus loves you. It just changes everything. We talked about how the, the, um, the whole mirroring of bride and bridegroom is with Jesus and his church too. So let's go ahead and hit number nine. That says that I, yeah. I regret that I talked about church more than I talked about Jesus. Um, I regret that when my people do that, like in my ministry, they talk about our church more than they talk about Jesus. They invite people to church, but they don't invite people to Jesus. They talk about how great the pastor is or the music is or the kids ministry or youth ministry or small group is, you know, they, they just, they're, we're so quick to talk about church and we're so slow to talk about Jesus. And some of that's complicated by the fact that I'm a full-time ministry guy. So it's my job. And, you know, we talk about our jobs and, and that's just normal. Yeah. But I, 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 wish that I had done a better job of saying um, life is about Jesus and part of that life is going to church rather than leaving them with the impression, which I never said, but the impression that life is about church and at church we talk about Jesus. And it's Mm -hmm. not just a quick play on words or a, a semantic difference. It really matters that they know that their life is caught up in the story of God. And a little piece of that is your life at church. And that's true whether you're working at a church or whether you're attending a church. So I just, I wish I had talked about Jesus more and we did talk about Jesus and we prayed together. And we, again, I I don't mean that we never had those conversations. I just wish and the on balance, we would have talked more about Jesus and less about church. Well, and I think it, it is very common, unfortunately, for people in ministry to substitute their relationship with Jesus for their job. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, I have to do this for church. I'm going to look up a scripture for church. I'm going to, you know, yeah. sing this worship song for my job at church. And it, it is not a substitute for a personal relationship with Jesus. And it's also what that does is it tends to then compartmentalize your relationship with Jesus as if it only happens at church. Yeah. And it's um, so much the opposite. Church is a compartment. I would rather we not have compartments, but if you're going to have one church should be the compartment inside your life in Christ, not the other one. One of my favorite books is called the forgotten ways by Alan Hirsch. And he says that one of the downfalls of the, the Western church is that they treat church service like God bungee jumps down into the service 
and then he's gone for the rest of the week. That that's wow. the only place that he ever is found. And that's just not true. And it's yep. sad. But that's exactly what you're talking about. Absolutely. And, and I want to wrap up because I wanted to save time for number 10. And I want to wrap up with this because to me it is a keystone habit. Um, that's a, a leadership or, or um, whatever self improvement kind of word keystone habit it's a habit that when you when you choose to do this habit it has a ripple effect and other habits become possible or other behaviors become possible that aren't that aren't possible before that keystone habit so for me uh this started when i read a book by wayne cordero called leading on empty which is about burnout and ministry great book highly recommend that one too um uh in fact i thought so much of that one when I read it 15 years ago or so that I wrote a book report, a summary of it and sent it to all the deacons of the church I was serving at the time. It's just an incredible book. <laughs> I'm such a geek. Um, so <laughs> leading on empty. Wayne like Cordero talks to, yeah. <laughs> that's why we're friends. Um, yeah. <laughs> Wayne says, Wayne says, why don't you, th- instead of thinking about sleeping in and sleeping late, change sleeping in to going to bed early, sleep in on the front side. Which means if you're going to shoot for seven hours sleep, instead of sleeping from 12 to 7, sleep from, oh, 10 to 5. It's still seven hours. Or if you're going to sleep eight hours, which is, of course, what we're supposed to shoot for, then sleep from 9.30 to 5.30. And 5.30 sounds early to many of you right now. It's like 5.30. That's like before Jesus gets up. Um, no, it's really not all that early right now. In fact, uh, in, in early May in Bowling Green, Kentucky, the sun is coming up at five thirty or a little after. So it isn't that early. It just feels that early because you didn't go to bed till one o'clock. So if you will go to bed early and then get up early, then you'll discover that there's an hour or two in the morning. Maybe it's a half hour, depending on your season of life and when your kids have to be at school, if you have kids and all that sort of thing. But there may be some time in the morning to do things like model being in, with Jesus in front of your kids when they wake up and come down the steps and find you with your Bible open. Or maybe you get to think for five minutes about what you want your child to be like when they are an adult. Or maybe you get to have a budget because you actually have a little bit, you're, you're an early riser, which makes you more productive. I'm not saying that night owls can't be more productive. I'm just saying, I think many people, uh, how do I say this? Okay. I'm being confessional. So I can't say many people, if you are like me, then when you were a kid, you thought, I can't wait till I can stay up late. And you never outgrew that. You became an adult. You thought, finally, I get to stay up late. And so you have for the last 30 years. Well, <laughs> you're not a kid anymore. I'm not a kid anymore. So go to bed. I sometimes work until nine or nine 30. So I don't always go to bed early last week or, or last night. I was at church until 10, um, getting ready, getting everything ready for this Sunday's service. And so I didn't go to sleep until almost midnight. And that's just really rare. I still woke up at five twenty cause my body's kind of conditioned to do that now. Um, but I love it. I get up in the morning. I have time with Jesus before anybody's awake. I do it every day. We talked about that. Uh, and I'm so grateful for that. Um, I'm running, walking five or six days a week. I, I couldn't do that before because I was not, I didn't have the time in the morning to do that. Bethany's trying to get me to go to a spin class with her at nine o'clock on Mondays. Nine o'clock is late now. I can't wait that long. Like my day is already, <laughs> I'm well into my day. So if it was at 630, I'd probably go. But nine o'clock. It's a like, great it's class so though. I know. I love it. And Tina does so well. I love Tina. Um, so <laughs> I just would, I would just encourage you to think about 
instead of just doing it because it's what you do, think about what do you want your day to look like? Do you want to start the day feeling productive or do you want to start the day feeling tired? And if you'll go to bed early and wake up early, you will start the day feeling productive. And it's just going to make, for me, for you, if you're like me at all, then it's just going to help you be more productive and create margin to think about more intentionally the other nine things we talked about. So I would say that's a keystone habit. My life is so much better now because I have made that switch. I sleep in early. It's not uncommon for me to go to bed at nine o'clock and be asleep by nine fifteen, And that just means I miss a TV show I would have watched or I DVR it and I watch it the next day while I'm working. I mean, you know, it's just, it, I'm not sacrificing much to go to bed early. I was sacrificing a lot by not getting up early and I'm glad I made the switch. So there you go. There's the keystone habit. The thing that makes all the other things possible. That's one of my favorites because I couldn't even stay up late when I was in college. So (laughs) my husband calls it fading. When I start Mm. to fade at about eight 30 or nine, it's, it's over. Like it's done, done. (laughs) Yep. I'm becoming that guy. Last night at church, I said I was there till 10. I was hanging out with a couple of guys after, uh, after we did everything that needed to be done and just talking and, and chilling. And at about 9.45, I went, okay, guys, I'm starting to not make any sense anymore in my head. Like, I just need to go home and go to bed. And then I couldn't go to sleep when I got home, but that's okay. So then how did, what in the world does this have to do with worship? First of all, I would remind you, worship isn't just what happens in church on Sunday. Worship is this is the the way that you live your life. Worship is 24 seven. Uh, that sounds so cliche. It sounds so empty, but Romans 12, one and two is all about giving all of yourself to God in all of the ways that you can. And this is the worship of your life. And I don't mean you're worshiping your life. I mean, you're using your life to worship God. So it, it does matter. And, and the gathering, like when you're with other people having a worship encounter, the, the corporate gathering, it's different when all of these things are in place, when you are a healthy human being, worship has more potential for you to experience the heights of our faith. Um, When you walk into worship and you are a needy human being, which at some level is all of us, but some ways it doesn't need to be. And so don't be broken in ways. God's not breaking you save that for what he wants to do and be healthy in the ways that he's shown you to be. And for me, these are 10 ways last episode, this episode, 10 ways that I blew it as a worship pastor, dad, but that I think you can do better than I did and you'll be a better dad or mom and your kids will be better for it. So uh, yeah, there you go. And you know, I, I started out part one with a story about when I was in high school and our, Mm -hmm. our trip to Disney world got canceled because somebody died and my dad who's a pastor had to do the funeral and even though I did have that experience I do have to say overall my experience was not negative I didn't leave my parents home feeling like I hated church but there are people who were raised in ministry homes that do feel that way that's right that felt like church was more important to their parent, whoever was it was that worked in ministry than they were, or that their family time was always being sacrificed for ministry, you know, or, you know, just in general, it doesn't have to be somebody in ministry, but it, I do find that it does happen quite a bit with, with mm-hmm. kids of people in ministry, that that is the result, unfortunately. 
Yeah. And in conversations I've had about these things with my children who are now adults, um, they often felt that way too. I don't think there's a situation where that doesn't happen. I think that's a normal part of parenting. And, and again, it doesn't matter if you're a worship pastor or if, if you're a teacher, like your kids are going to feel like, well, why does he always have to be gone? Okay. It feels that way. That doesn't mean that's true. I chaperoned almost every trip my daughters took all the way through school and, and they were glad to have me, which is kind of fun. I love that. Um, I spent time with them when, when a lot of people couldn't spend time with them because of the nature of my career. And so I took them to school every day and picked them up until Catherine started driving. I, you know, there were a lot of things that I did that made it so that I was a part of their lives in ways that other people couldn't be. And they still felt like, gosh, dad's at church all the time. And it's just, it's a part of being a parent and it's a part of being a kid. And if you're hearing that, listen and evaluate it. Take that thought captive, examine it carefully, ask some other people that are not your children for their input and see if it's true. And if it's true, change. And if it's not true, be patient. Your children are going to grow up and go to work someday too. And they're going to struggle with the same tension. Yeah. And they'll They'll know one day. They will. They will. Um, And I am just so grateful as I've said in both episodes, more than once, God is a better parent than I am. And he's a better parent than you are. And he's holding on to your kids when you don't think you can or when you aren't or when you don't feel like you are. And um, he is a God who is full of grace. And even though I blew it in these 10 ways, God reigned victorious because he is the victorious one. And I am so grateful. Um, He can be that way in your life too. Just let him. Just let him. Hey, we don't do this on the podcast. I want to pray for you. Um, I want to pray for your listeners, uh, especially if you're parents. I want, I want you to know that somebody has gone to the throne of grace on your behalf. So let's close today's episode with a prayer. Father, there is so much in the word that you are our Father. You are perfect, holy, righteous. Help us to be more like you as moms and dads. Help us to treat our kids like you treat us as your kids. Help the way that we parent our children to give them a glimpse of what it's like to be a child of the Most High King. Help our families be a little bit more like heaven than anything around our families. So when they come home, they feel like they're getting a foretaste of what it will be like to come home. This is not something that we can do in our power It's not something that we can do because we listen to a podcast of ways to do better. It's not something we can do because we develop a plan. It's something we can do because you are good, because you are a God of grace, and because you empower us to do everything you planned for us long ago. Help us to live like the masterpieces we are, even when it feels like we're finger paintings. You are a good God. And you have made us to do what you've called us to do. So help us to be faithful. I pray for every mom or dad listening, every grandparent who's raising a child listening. I pray for them to have a great sense of your strength, your power that's flowing through their heart, their soul, their mind, and their body as they raise godly men and women. Thank you for being good and thank you for being a good father. We pray in the name of your son, our brother, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.